Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. 530 to 10 on 670 the score. Of course, your radio home for Cubs baseball. This is season one, episode 55. Hashtag where is Jed? Crawley, good afternoon. Hashtag, where is Jed? Uh, that's a good question. Now, don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast and to follow our socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram. Fly the W on Facebook or email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. I thought I saw Jed Hoyer's face on the side of a milk carton. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I, some I, angry, <laughs> some angry, angry Cub fans right now, Crowley. Some angry Cub fans. Dustin, my hand is hovering. For the podcast listeners, my hand is hovering over the panic button because I'm about there. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, we, there's two guys still out there that can make this thing still a successful off season. But but you're, the time is ticking, and, and I'm starting to get worried. Yeah, Jed Hoyer is missing. The hot stove is steaming. Jed's on the side of a milk carton. You had Kodai Senga sign with the Mets, the guy I wanted so bad to be a Cub. He's gone on Saturday night. Sean before Benet- oh, hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on before we before we move let, let's 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 talk about Senga for a minute, okay? Let, let's yeah. talk about Senga for a second. Could it be that Senga didn't want the Cubs? Could it be? That Senga wanted a big market. Okay, that that box is checked for the Cubs. Big market. But he wanted a team that was built to win right now. The Cubs won 70-ish games last year. The Mets won over 100 games last year. Right? It, right. So is, it could it be, I mean, could it be that simple? You know, maybe maybe the Cubs didn't like the idea of giving him an opt-out after three years, and the Mets were like, fine, win us a World Series and get out next year. We don't care. Right? So, I mean, I, I just think these are some things that we may not know. We're not privy to that yet. That's all there's, I'm saying. Yeah, there's no doubt that, 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 that there's opt-outs, no trade clauses, uh, all sorts of different things that can be there. All I know is I see teams getting players all over the place, and the Cubs haven't done a damn thing since the start of the winter meetings. Well, that's a little bit more than a damn thing. But, yeah, I mean, listen, I am not satisfied. I, I want I want more. Father, I want more. Um, but, you know, maybe Senga didn't want to be here. Okay, so you could have gotten Sean Maniah, but he signed with the Giants. You could have had right. Chris Bass- Bassett. He signed with the Mets. Sean Murphy, a catcher. Well, Bassett went to the Bassett went from the, the Mets, right? He yeah, went to the from Jays. The Mets to the Blue Jays. Uh-huh. And then Sean Murphy, uh, catcher for the A's that would have looked nice and cubby blue, has been a three-team trade with the for, uh, he goes to the Braves and Milwaukee gets William Contreras, brother <laughs> of Wilson Contreras. So now we gotta face both Contreras brothers all the time. Yeah. Contreras squared. They'll call the division Contreras squared. Yep. It's it's listen. It's not perfect. It's far. It's far from perfect. I would have hoped though that when uh, Cubs president of business ops was on the Mully and Haw show on Friday, that that gave some Cub fans some hope. Crowley, did you not find hope in it, or did it make you more upset? No, it made me more upset. I was okay. I was, I was more panicky, and 
I am wondering how much everybody is truly on the same page. Obviously, there's three people that you talk about here. Tom Ricketts is the man who writes the checks, right? You have Crane Kesney, who's the uh, president of business ops. So all the money that gets made goes through Kane, Crane, and then you have president of baseball ops, who is Jed Hoyer. He's technically not even the GM. But, but the, the point of it being is, is I'm here, at least I'm seeing mixed messages compared to what I heard the other day. So first off, I thought that David Haw did an excellent job interviewing Crane, asking some questions of Crane. You know, it kind of started out more about Pat Hughes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, it, 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 it being the home of the Cubs, 670, that, you know, you understand there's going to be those questions. But I thought that David Haw asked excellent questions and, you know, kind of, it was a great interview. Um, but but from the very first clip that we're going to play you, for those of you that missed it, and you can check out the entirety of the interview on the Odyssey app, 670, Mully and Haw Show, um, this first one really talks about the goal. It have the Cubs, did, did, uh, the organization feel that the goal of the winter meetings was reached from their perspective. And so this is what uh, president of business ops, Crane Kenny had to say. They, they, they don't, they're not real big on mandates uh, to do things. They leave that in, in our hands, mine on the business side and Jed's on the baseball side. Uh, there was a lot of flexibility in the budget um, just based on how things fell. Um, the business is still healthy, uh, and uh, that let, left Jed with a lot of money to spend this year. Uh, like last year, where he didn't spend all the money he had last year, just didn't see uh, transactions that made sense to him. Uh, and uh, I, hope, I hope there are transactions that make sense to us this year uh, to spend all the money he has. Uh, he got a, gotten off to a good start. Um, and, uh, you know, the goal is always the same. It's to win another championship. So, so let's kind of just talk about that really here. Okay. So you got the president of business ops, right. Saying that there is a lot of flexibility in the budget, right? Business is still healthy and Jed has a lot of money to spend this year off to a good start. We agreed on that, right? Cody Ballinger mm -hmm. and Jameson Tyone, we were mm -hmm. happy with that, but he says, if a player can help us get closer to a championship, right? That's what you're looking for. Jed will be aggressive. Well, these are the guys that, that were on the market. Aaron Judge, Trey Turner, Sander Bogarts, Carlos Rodon is still on the market. Jose, still on the market. Jose Abreu. So none of those guys get you closer to a championship? Yeah. I mean, I, here you know, there's another one. I, I just mentioned Sanga, right? We don't know. Maybe he did or didn't want to be here. That's on him. But Abreu didn't sound like he wanted to be here anymore. Sounded like he wanted to go to Houston. Sounded like he wanted to play in a dome. Sounded like he wanted to have better weather. He didn't want to deal with playing in the in the Central Division of the American League or National League anymore. So he went down south, and he, you know, no more excuses about a slow start. I think though that is something we have to keep in mind that everybody's money is green. It all spends the same, and you know, not that's actually not true. You know, you go to a place like Houston. And you got a whole different set of tax situations, right? So right. it's better off. Listen, I want Jed to do something, and I think I think this trade, I think this trade today that got um, the the uh, Brewers a little bit healthier. I think that's going to add a little bit of extra pressure. If anything, I mean, if I'm Jed, I might text Crane and say, "Hey, what are you doing? Like you're you're putting you're putting a target on my back for the fans." Right. So when you sit there and 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 uh, Crane finishes with the quote. No reason to think we won't be a playoff team this year. Last year, like you said, 74 wins was the exact total. Cubs were 74 wins and 88 losses. 
The Cardinals were first in the division with a record of 98 and 69. Okay, there, we'll talk a little bit more about what's left on the board still, but you're telling me you're going to somehow get, let's say, what do you think it's going to take? Because you got an extra wild card spot now, right, that you could potentially have. But do you think, let, let's say it's going to take an extra 15 games. Let's put the Cubs at 89 wins. Okay, I think that could probably get you into the postseason. Do you, based on their moves right now, see see 89 wins in the on this team as constructed? Mm, no. Maybe, maybe 80, maybe, if everything goes right, maybe. maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, and so, you know, the next question that David Haw had to ask was whether the Cubs accomplished everything they intended to in the winter meetings. And this is what uh, Crane had to say. Look at it over time. Uh, you know, for me, this is one of the 22nd winter meetings that, that, that I've been a part of. You know, it used to be you saw a lot of activity in the at the GM meetings and the winter meetings. And you kind of went into the holidays with a lot of transactions behind you and your roster, not set, but but significantly uh, changed. And that's all changed. You know, it's funny that, you know, it used, it used to be that, you know, the winter meetings were full of uh, meetings, you know, where uh, and the GM meetings where the GMs were all huddled together. And now the GMs are calling each other from the same location, <laughs> which you know, this the advent of the internet and, and sort of technology has allowed the winter meetings to start kind of, you know, 10 days after the World Series and end, you know, sometime in January. So, yeah, you know, the vast majority of free agents are still out there. Uh, the big names are, have come off the board, but there's a, a ton of talent still to be added. And then the trade market really opens up uh, in earnest after the, the, the big free agents are gone. So I think, you now we have, I don't know, we may be in the third inning of our offseason in terms of how the roster will look, uh, you know, come February. Now that's the one, Crawley. That's the comment that I'm hanging my hat on, though, that we are only in the third inning. So now he said that. Crane said that. So obviously Crane is in these planning. I mean, I'm not saying Crane's telling him who to get, but I, I, I have an idea that Crane has seen their whiteboard, if you will. He, he, knows, he knows the targets. He knows, he obviously knows the money. So he knows the targets, and, and these and there's targets that are still obtainable. Otherwise, he would not have said that, or if if he he shouldn't have said that, and then shame on him. Well, you know that that comment of we're in the third inning. Yes, he's right. It's still early. We're in the third inning as far as off season goes, but you're down ten to one in the third inning. So <laughs> uh, right right now, you better start making some moves because you only got six innings to kind of get some runs back here. And so, you know, he's, he was honest. He said a lot of the big uh, names are out off the board, but there's tons of talent to be added. And that's what bothered me because I'm asking here, if we're in the third inning and there's tons of talent, what talent is left in the areas that the Cubs need to address? So we don't have to talk about right fielders or left fielders because that is addressed right now, okay? The outfield set. The out, they, you know, outfield, outfield closed. They, they've got an outfield. So if we take a look here, your catcher options, Christian Vasquez, that has to get done. You also have Tucker Barnhart, Austin Hedges, Gary Sanchez, and Mike Zunino. Christian Vasquez is a must-get. There's two guys that I'm going to tell you that if, if, if Jed and Crane want to want to be happy about the way this offseason goes, number one is the, you have to get Christian Vasquez a catcher. Okay, that's That's one of the guys. First base, Jesus Aguilar, Brandon Belt, Trey Mancini. Anything for you? 
I mean, I, I could live with Trey Mancini. Uh, you know, again, what's Trey Mancini going to cost? I mean, that would be smart. That would be smart spending. I think I think Mancini would do well here. I think fans would like. I think fans would really like him. Um, I, I think that yeah. I mean, I'm not going to jump up and down about it, but I think it's good cover. It's definitely good cover at first base and DH. Okay, shortstop. Obviously, Carlos Correa still on the board. Didi Gregarious, uh, Jose Iglesias, and Dansby Swanson. Obviously, Correa. You anyone that listens to this podcast and pretty much. Most people would say that Correa is the other guy they have to get. It has to be Correa, and it has to be Christian Vasquez, and I will personally lead the Jet is Awesome parade and put him <laughs> on my shoulders, and everything will be all good. Um, no more hashtag where is Jed? No more hashtag where is Jed because the answer will be there. But Dansby Swanson got married over the weekend. His wife actually is a soccer player who plays for the Chicago Red Stars. Chicago Red Stars, right. Yep. So don't know if that means anything. But I, I, I want to kind of circle around back to that. But let's say you don't get a shortstop, and now you got to look at second base, okay? Because you could always keep, like, again, Nico we talked about. He can play short. He did a great job this last offseason, this last season. But then you're going to need a second baseman. Almedes, Diaz, Josh Harrison, Cesar Hernandez, Rufnil Odor, and Jonathan Villar. Anything for you? No, I, I think I'd, I'd rather go to battle with Nick Madrigal, to be honest with you. <laughs> Third base, Brandon Drury, Mikhail Franco, Evan Longoria, who I think is 87, uh, Justin Turner. Any of those guys? Uh, you know, what, what's Justin Turner cost? Does right. he want, you know, yeah, he's, he's been in some big-time baseball games. What, what what is he? He might be a nice DH option as well. It, it, let's put it, is, is Justin Turner better than what is penciled in at third base right now? That's the question you got to ask. And, and for how many years does he want it? Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you got a lot of these guys, when you talk about Evan Longoria, when you talk about Justin Turner, DH, uh, JD Martinez, guys like that, they're older, they're longer in the tooth, man. You know, I don't, I don't know what they want and, and I don't know how much it'd be worth it, but Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz for potential DHs, the rotation. Now we're really thinning out. I don't see anyone else that really kind of jumps out at me that I'm like, Oh, they need to get this. I think, Honestly, Drew Smiley's probably your best bet. Uh, you got Nathan Avaldi, Corey Kluber, Ross Stripling, Noah Syndergaard, and Michael Waka. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of, lot of, lot of gray hair in that group. And, and a lot of guys that have, have their best years are way behind them. Yeah, uh, injuries, mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. I don't know, man. So you know, we can go through the list and be like, "Well, this guy's okay. This guy's okay." We're going to talk about Wilson in the third segment of the show, but. You have to replace that bat, and you didn't have enough hitting last year. You can, which, which you had last year with Wilson Contreras in your lineup with 77 wins. Okay, That's not going to cut it. So not only do you have to replace his offense, you, you need to add more to that total, and none of those guys are really going to move the needle. You know, yeah, you, you can get Trey Mancini, and that'll take you maybe from 77 wins to 79. That's not going to do it, man. That, that's just not. Any anything with the checkbook supposedly being open, the funds being available? Do you think there is though a limit? Because something else that's really interesting is like these Mets luxury tax penalties. Holy cow! It says that they're going to exceed the payrolls of up to ten to twelve teams. Well, David Haw did bring up revenue streams. Now I just spent the weekend in, in Wrigley, um, and and I can just tell you that the the Winterland is absolutely. They are making hand over fist dollars here. And so, you know, David Hall was talking about Correa. And again, 
you know, why would any other teams be able to outbid the Cubs? And so as we kind of look at this here, you know, this is what David had to say or what Crane had to say. We all uh, live and breathe the same uh, atmosphere that, that our fans are in. And, you know, we're, listen, we're, we're all dying to see a great team play in front of our fans and, and for our fans. And, uh, you know, it, you know, you can say what you like about, well, this is going to be a tough season or a reset. Um, and it's easy to say in February, but when you're grinding your way through six months of it in the summer, it's no fun. Um, and uh, we, we are looking to have a lot more fun this coming year. Uh, I love the hot stove league. I love the, I love what you guys do on the radio. I love the fact that we're talking about baseballs and snowfalls. Um, and I love the fact our fans are, are, you know, anxious about getting back to playoff baseball. Cause you and I know, I mean, when I first started here in 03, you know, making the playoffs that year after beating the pirates in a double header, felt like an act of God. I mean, it was, you know, it was always a decade. So, I mean, what he's going to end up talking about is, you know, it used to take 10 years between playoff starts, yada, da, yada, da. And he keeps bringing up that the business side is in good shape. Right. And he, and he loves the idea. He loves the idea, Crawley, that the fans are pushing the, the demand is growing. The expectations are higher than ever. And he seems to really love that. And, and and well, in that case, he should start telling. I don't know what's going on here, and this is what you kind of brought it up a little bit, alluded to it. I do not know what how what conversations happen between Jed and Crane. I you know they get the budget um, and they work with that, but at this point right now, the question you have to ask yourself when it comes to Jed Hoyer is number one. We talked about this last episode. Is he scared of the ghost of uh, Jason Hayward's contract? Number two, okay, you just talked about the spending that's going on, okay? And this has been a tremendous off-season. Spending, and this was, when I wrote this on Sunday, when I put this in the script, so far $1.6 billion has been spent. The Yankees have three $300 million contracts. The Phillies have two. The Padres have two, almost three. I think Bogarts went for 275, okay? The Mets have won. That is absolutely insane. And so when you're looking at the contracts and what the clubs are spending, the Phillies, 387 on their payroll. The Yankees, 371. The Mets, 284. Padres, 275. Boston has spent 100, has 117. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. And, and Buster Olney is the one that said that the Mets luxury tax, just the, just the luxury tax for 2023, is going to exceed the payrolls of 10 to 12 teams. Dustin, the, you, you, you know, here, here's the thing that you have to take a look at here, man, is that... It's laughable, but it's not funny. The, this, is, this is, we are, the, the Wrigley experience, what fans pay at the Wrigley ballpark, tickets, pop, you know, beer, hot dog, all that stuff, parking. One of the, one of the big, one of the, one of the highest, if not the highest. Number one. And all I can tell you right here is that it's that... I, I not everybody can pay it. I don't mind paying it as long as I see results. And I'm and I know that fans are very nervous. And again, you know, you talked about a target on his back by saying what he said with Crane saying there's plenty of money. We have plenty. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it to me. It seems like this. Remember this in the off season of 2018 going into 2019, there was two monster free agents. Okay, it was Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. 
and Cub fans were debating every which way we could move Javi to second, you know, put Machado at short. Oh, no, <laughs> we, we need to get Bryce Harper, and you could put Jay Hay in center, and Harper will play in right. We had it all figured out. It was going to be one of those two guys that the Cubs were going to get. Something happened in that off scene. The, the, the cash flow, the spigot, was turned off. Do you remember who the Cubs signed in that offseason? No. Tell Dan- me. Daniel Descalso and Brad Brock. Ugh. Those were the two names. And, I, couldn't and, have come, I couldn't have come up with those names if you had a gun to my head. And so now with Jed Hoyer, does he have to think that at some point in time that money spigot turns off again? That if he sits there and says, yes, I'm going to give Carlos Correa – 30 million average annual per year, you know, whether it's five years, whether it's 10 years, whether it's whatever opt-outs. If I give him that money, is Crane or the Ricketts or whoever gives him the budget, are they going to potentially shut it off? Because I don't think that the Padres, the Mets, the Yankees, the Phillies are worried about the budget. We talked talked about Aaron Judge, and Aaron Judge, uh, Hal Steinbrenner said, what's it going to take? 10 years, 300? Here you go. (laughs) <laughs> okay, then, then, then if that's what, if you want to play with the big boys, we're talking Boston, pa, I mean, can't believe I'm saying Padres, big boys, Mets, Yankees, Phillies, that's the price right here. So you got to figure out what exactly it is that you are doing to, if you're going to go for this, if you are going to make this, if you're going to compete, because if not, then I can tell you right now, you can't, they haven't sold out Cubs Con, season tickets holders are not coming back. I've seen the same letter sent to season ticket reps. If the Cubs aren't going to spend top dollar, why should I? It's a good point. It's a very, very good point. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 55. Hashtag, where is Jed? Don't forget to listen, download, review, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And in this segment, Crawley interviews top pitching prospect DJ Hers, who pitched for the South Bend Cubs and was later promoted to the Tennessee Smokies. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm here with Cubs pitching prospect DJ Hers. DJ, how are you today? I'm good. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great. I've had a, a great day. I saw a lot of Cubs players today. I saw uh, Pat Hughes and I saw old alumni Gary Matthews. And now I get to see you. So I've had a great day today. Sounds like um, a good day. <laughs> you you were born and raised in Fayetteville, North Carolina. When were you, do you remember kind of the first time you were really interested in baseball? Um, So it wasn't really baseball, but my dad was, my dad loved sports and Ever since I was three years old, and he always told me the story, like I picked up a basketball and there was we had a little mini hoop, and he said I shot it with perfect form, and he was like, "This dude's gonna be, be an athlete," and so from there, I mean, I just picked up baseball, basketball, and football, and I, I legit practiced those three sports growing up from three years old to, till I got drafted for baseball, and we honestly thought basketball was going to be my, my sport. So we practiced basketball more than any other sport and football was also second nature. And then pitching for some reason just always came supernatural. And I was always the best at pitching. That was probably the best like sport I was at. And um, we even practiced hitting more than pitching. We practiced shooting more than pitching. We practiced football more than pitching, but pitching just always came natural. And, we probably knew about like right when we were about getting into high school, when I started getting a lot of exposure that like pitching, pitching is what we want to do. And that's when we started really just like taking off of pitching. And it worked for you. You went to Terry Sanford high school and uh, what you won multiple conference championships, back-to-back regional appearances. You were in the player of the year. What did you do besides pitch? Did you, did you do something else as well? 
Oh, I hit. I, I, I was actually a really good hitter. I was going to actually – so, at Carolina, I was going to two-way to play football. I was going to walk on to play quarterback at Carolina, at Chapel Hill. Also, I was going to also try to hit because my senior year I hit it, – it's high school, but I still hit 430 with four bombs and, like, 13 doubles and, like, 20-something, 20 25 games maybe. And But I, I was a really good hitter and uh, – but now that 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 time's passed. So. <laughs> I was going to ask, you know, a lot of times I always wonder, you know, do, you know, as far as you young guys coming up, you know, you're going to always have the DH. Do you kind of regret that they did that, or you do you wish you could have kissed looking at bed? I wanted to hit. I was I wasn't scared of hitting. I, I was I would actually have tried. I would just hunted fastballs, but no, I'm I'm fine with just pitching now too, especially with how nasty everybody is. Well, you know, I saw you recently, you were featured on the On Deck series, and, and if any of the listeners are interested, you can go to Cubs YouTube Productions. You're the second guy on there um, that they, they kind of showed you. And one thing that amazed me when I was listening to that is that you said the first time you went to a major league stadium was when you went to Wrigley Field for your pro day. Is that accurate? For sure. Uh, yeah, no, it 100% is. Uh, I haven't, I've never been to like a, actually like when I, when you saw me in uh, Chicago after the season, that was my first ever major league, like major league stadium game, like I've ever been to. Was that one? I was kind of waiting to hope, like I got called up, uh, like next year or something like that. And, and my first like major league game ever would have been like me pitching in it, but it was pretty sick to be there. And yeah, so the first time I like actually was in a stadium was Wrigley Field, and that was honestly I think at 18 years old. <laughs> so wow, but. And from North Carolina, we don't have anything like near us. So it's like you got to drive all the way to Washington, D.C., or you got to drive to Atlanta. And we, we've just never really had time with me playing three different sports. So it was kind of always hard for me to get to like a major league stadium to watch a baseball game. That's absolutely incredible, but awesome at the same time. I mean, you know, I, I saw you looking around the clubhouse and the look on your face. I mean, you, you get to see the, re, you know, the new Wrigley and it's just so beautiful inside and the facilities oh, yeah. are amazing. Yeah, it is. It, Wrigley, Wrigley's one of a kind. It's, it's amazing. It, it's an awesome experience. It's breathtaking for just me. And even even when I go back and just see it, watching the games from the stands, it's, it's always bre breathtaking. Yeah. Now you like like you know when you said you were you played you were going to walk on at North Carolina and go two way with baseball. How how difficult do you think it was to to make that decision? I mean, you were drafted by the Cubs in the eighth round of the twenty nineteen draft. Uh, how hard was that to kind of say, you know what, I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and chase this dream and go play pro ball. Uh, it, it was definitely a hard, hard decision, not just for me, but for my family, too. Um, but I, me, my dad, my mom, we both knew, like, I never had real coaching with pitching. I never really had, like, someone to teach me fundamentals or, like, teach me ins and outs about games or stuff. Just people don't really know about pitching. And I knew, like, if I just could get some type of coaching, professional coaching, and it's not going to be like, oh, if this coach doesn't like you, then – you might be out or if you get injured, what happens when you get to college? It's just a win. And I knew the Cubs just wanted me to develop and they wanted to focus on me. And I knew if I just got the coaching, the pitching lab, all the kind of tracks, all, all that stuff like on me, I knew I could just take my game to the next level. So it was just something like instinctive in me telling me like, I know I can do this. And like, if I just get the help and like it, it would take off. And so far it's been, it's been unbelievable for me.
Absolutely. Black. Yeah. You, you, you finished, uh, you, you get, uh, you sign on 29 on June 19th with the Cubs and you head out to Arizona. What were your first impressions? I saw you before in spring training and, uh, what did you think of Sloan and those facilities just in and of itself? Just how amazing was that? Oh dude, Sloan, Sloan's awesome. Like our facilities are by far top notch. Like you go other places and they, they're not even comparable to what the Cubs have put in money for, for us, us players. But when I first got out there, that was the first time I've ever been to the West Coast. So just like seeing the deserts and like just being amazed how far I could see without like like trees or hills. And I could see mountains four hours away. It was it was honestly like it was crazy to me. But I, I enjoy I enjoy Arizona so much and the weather out here, especially at this time. It's, it's beautiful right now. But um, it was definitely something to get used to and just opening up to the guys and like them taking me in. It was, it was, it was a very cool experience. So you finished the 2019 season with the AZL Cubs, but then the pandemic wipes out the 2020 season. What did you do to kind of keep yourself in baseball shape? Uh, I I've, I've been on other podcasts and I've told people all the time, like that COVID that COVID year of us taking a break was a blessing in the skies for me. Like it was obviously like really bad for a lot of people, but for me, I was a. I think I was still 19, and I was still like 175 pounds, so I was still scrawny. And but it, it but that time period, I knew like, hey, some of these guys are gonna take off. And I always remember what Kobe said, like 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, when you're done, are you gonna regret anything that you like didn't do in the past? You're gonna regret skipping some reps or not working out someday when you feel bad. And honestly, like that's been my motive ever since. And so I used that COVID year as just eating everything I could, lifting as much as I could, following the Cubs program, making sure I'm on top of my throwing because coming off, taking off a whole year of throwing, your your arm's going to be susceptible to injuries, which a lot of people did end up getting injured. And so I, I wanted none of that stuff to happen. So I stayed on my shoulder programs, everything, and I made sure I was on literally everything. And and it was it was just amazing to see like everything come together in 2020, 2021. And then have the year I had in Myrtle Beach. It was it was it was just amazing to see that all the hard work I did paid off. Yeah, let's talk about that year at Myrtle Beach. You were under legendary manager Buddy Bailey and pitching coach uh, Clayton Mortison. What were the takeaways that you had from your first season of pro ball? Uh, Buddy's Buddy's definitely like a dude. Like <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a pretty hard guy. He's gonna make sure everybody's on it. Like he's gonna make sure like things are done the right way. Like there's not gonna be much playing around at all. Like. He's serious about it, but then he knows how to have fun with it too and make it light and make sure the season's not like – make sure you're not like it's too long. But Buddy's also a, a serious dude, and he's 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 awesome. I'm so grateful I got to play through him. And he – especially my first year of pro ball, like coming in as a young guy, like you don't know much things about like having feel about pro ball or doing a lot of stuff. So he'll teach you that. And then Morty – Morty played in the – played in the bigs for five years and but to this day, I, I I love Morty. He's my favorite pitching coach I've ever had, and he helped me so much just on the mental side of the game, teaching me, like, hey, this is what this batter might think, or, like, if you're in this situation or this, like, pitch pitch uh, sequence, like, this is what you should do, like, what works for you, how your mechanics work, and, like, working on it. And, like, he just brings a, such a good attitude that, like, you want to you play behind him, and it, it, it's an awesome to be, like, to be to be with those guys that I did. Well, you, you were part of something amazing in Myrtle Beach because, uh, you know, you're sitting there and you were part in, you know, you were minor league pitcher in the month in May. And then in late June, 
You, Jeremiah Estrada, Bailey Reed, and Denise Correa combined for Myrtle Beach's first no-hitter since 2012. What do you remember from that game as far as warming up and getting ready? Dude, I remember I was I was dominating the Columbia Fireflies all year. I remember I, my first – I think my first uh, – that was my third time pitching – my first three outings, I had nine innings of no-hit ball against the Columbia Fireflies. They didn't get one hit off me in my three appearances. It was like four innings, four innings, and then like another four innings. So it was 12 innings of them just having no-hit ball. But I know the last time when we threw the no-hitter, I, I, I wasn't feeling that good that day. And I, I was like, this is going to be a grind day. And I ended up getting out of that, and I was like, dang. I really have I, there's no hits on the board and I, I might have walked like four that day too but it was it was a grind and then I know Estrada came in and Estrada's Estrada that dude he's, he's ridiculous his fastball is insane and I we had no problem with Estrada and then Bailey came in for an inning and shut it down and I think we get into the ninth and and we're all like yo we got a no hitter going like <laughs> nobody wants to say anything and then Correa's out here pumping 100 and it's like, oh, these dudes have no chance. And then they got like three, two, and Correa punches the last dude, and it was, it was, it was an amazing moment. It was awesome. Yeah, we had Jeremiah on the podcast, and I asked him about it, and he's like, you know, we're in the bullpen, you know. So the first couple innings, we're kind of just kind of, you know, just messing around and you know, getting getting stretching and stuff. And he's and they that he mentioned that he saw a couple guys on base. He didn't know how they got on base. He just knew it. So when he came in, he really didn't even realize that there was a no hitter going. <laughs> No, I remember Estrada was telling me, he's like, I had no idea. It was, it, was, it was hilarious. So, you know, on September 2nd, you were promoted to high A South Bend. You finished the season strong, 331 ERA and 20 starts, striking out 131, walking 444 uh, and striking out 131 batters in 81 innings. So you end up winning the VD Himsel Cubs Minor League Pitcher of the Year Award. Were you surprised when you uh, found out that you won the award? Uh, for sure. Like we got, we got a bunch of, a bunch of amazing dudes that are super talented in, in this organization. And it's, it's honestly, it may, it makes me raise my game. Cause I know like there's guys behind me, there's guys in front of me and I gotta, I gotta work my butt off to be, to be where they're at or to beat them out, even though they're my teammates. But, uh, it, it was just an amazing moment. And I was, I was, I was super happy when, when I got announced that I was, I was the pitcher of the year and then also to be right beside Brennan, Brennan Davis. And it was, it was just an, it was an amazing moment. And I was just super glad that all my hard work paid off. And I had, I, that was my first year of pro ball. Like I didn't have no college. So it was just cool to be, see the things I, I was able, was capable to, of doing. Well, I, I will tell you, DJ, is, you know, in the beginning of the season, opening weekend, I came down to South Bend in 2022, and I'm looking at the rotation. Cole Franklin, Jordan Wicks, Max Bain, Daniel uh, Palencia, yourself, and I'm just looking. I'm going, oh, my God. And uh, I came down. I threw the first pitch out on Saturday, and you started that game, so I didn't bother you. Oh. Uh, I, I talked to Max and got some advice on throwing first pitches. But <laughs> how much did you kind of, like, bounce ideas off those other starters or even other bullpen guys and just kind of, you know, talk about pitch grips? Or it seemed like you guys just had great cohesion in that clubhouse. Oh, yeah, that 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 team was that team was one of my favorite teams. It was just – and then you had a, you had a good a, – a great uh, – Pitching coach and Tony you had a great uh, manager and Lance and Lance is super laid back and like Lance is one of those guys where you know what you what you need to get done and like if if you want to have fun have fun but like you know what you need to get done and South Bend is one of my favorite places in playing because 
just the stadium so nice, the locker room so nice. So we we all had everything we needed, and it was just more of just going out and playing baseball and enjoying our time. And uh, we had a bunch of talented dudes, and it was. But everybody knows what they they are they're good at, and then. You got Max, he knows a lot of stuff. And then you have you can't forget a guy like Chris Clark who, man, rest in peace. But uh <laughs> love Chris and he's a super smart dude and he helped me with my curveball and stuff. And it was it was just a it was just an amazing time in South Bend. I was I was blessed to be a part of it. And and as a pitcher, you guys have had to love to, you know, see that outfield behind you because you knew pretty much everything was gonna get caught. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially when Pete came up too, it was it was sick. We had Owen in, in right field and then Wogu in left. And then and then you add Pete in center field. And we actually started with Canario in center field. And, dude, and we had Mervis at first base. I mean, that team was <laughs> ridiculous. And then, dude, it was that, – that team was – we're going to look back in years and that team's going to be one of the better teams that, that were in minor league baseball. I absolutely 100% agree. And then on July 15th, you and your teammate Jordan Wicks are promoted to Tennessee Smokies. Was that helpful for you to kind of be able to go up with, you know, a teammate and kind of start at the same time as being another pitcher? Oh, yeah. So me and Wicks, actually, we got called up to South Bend together on the exact same day. We got called up to Tennessee on the exact same day. So it's just it's sick to be with Wicks. And I love Wicks. He just got married, too. And Wicks is an awesome dude. And um yeah, me and him are me and him have been moving up, moving up together. So it, it was it was very cool to like be with somebody that you know. And a, a lot of those players that were up there were were some of the guys I already knew. Like Chris was already up there, and then a bunch more. But like a bunch, yeah, just a bunch more. But it it, it was a it was a great environment. I was also closer to home. I was only five hours away from home, so my parents got to come up every single game and just make the drive out. So it, it was it was sick. Now, did you have a chance to watch South Bend win the championship, or were you guys just too focused on what was going on because you guys had your own playoff run as well? No, we were we were actually in. Um, I think the whole team was eating dinner, and uh, the broadcast they they didn't have a broadcast for the the championship game. Where uh, I think in what they play? Did they play Lansing? It wasn't I Lansing. Think, no. Uh, no, was it West? It was the Ten Caps, or not not the Ten Caps, but the the blue team i can't right, I can't right. you're right but, uh, but they didn't have a they didn't have the stream for game two or three and so we were just all keeping up keeping track in the box score because me zach lee bailey horn dalton stanball chris clark we were all up there and we all came from south bend as pitchers and uh we were all just keeping up in the box score what was going on so it, it was it was awesome to see so, so far you've been from low A to high A to double A. What are the challenges that you've faced, you know, moving up each level of the minors? Uh, I, I think, I think low A was just like, let's see what you can do. Like dominate, just, just absolute dominate. Whatever you see, whoever comes up to bat, just absolute dominate. And then high A gets, a, it gets a little bit better and, uh, it's just more of the same thing, just like dominate. But then once you get to double A, that's that's the real jump. And it, it, I had a lot of struggles up in double A, but there were a lot of things like I needed to know. Like I've never been to college ball. Like that was like the first time like I'm playing like for real dudes. Like these guys, we had we played against so many guys that we played. And next day they were up in the big leagues. And then you're striking these dudes out and then getting these guys out. And it's like, oh, I, I, I can be here. But as a young guy, as the youngest guy, I was like, 
man, this is a whole different ball game up here. And so you, you learn so quick and it's like, you have to pick up or you're going to get left behind. And so my last four games are like, I finished really strong. Uh, and it double A is a lot, a lot harder than any other, any other league. Now I can tell you, you know, back when, you know, we, you know, Chris Bryant and, and Baez and Contreras before those guys came up that we had to do the same thing you're talking about, looking at the box scores, trying to find streams wherever we could. But yeah. now the Cubs have the marquee channel and games get broadcast. Uh, how do the guys feel about that? Are they excited when you know that the, the crew from Chicago comes down and, and you know, it's being broadcast to all the Cub fans? Oh yeah. Everybody gets excited that we're like, Oh, we're, we're marquee today. We're, we're about to play good today. <laughs> and so like, you want to, you want to elevate your game just because, you know, more people are watching the marquees getting it on the game. They're out there. They're doing interviews. So, you know, like this game is going to be for real. Like we need to like play, play up a level. And so everybody's watching. And I think, I think it, it, it raises a lot of people's game, honestly. Now I, I got to ask you, how did Her's day get started? So I think uh, is it's a, it's a guy named on Twitter named Tim, and he it was just in low A when I when I was uh, my first year, and he just tweeted out Her's day, and then more people tweeted it out Her's day, and then the Pelicans were tweeting out Her's day, and then a lot of people were tweeting out Her's day, and then after the season, and I get called up to South Bend, and they're posting, "Hey, it's Her's day, y'all." And then after that, after that minor league, um, after I won minor league pitch of the year, the Pelicans like posted every single, they would go one week on Thursday. Hey, it's hers day. Here's a memory. And it'd be <laughs> one of my starts. The next Thursday, it'd be a, another hers day memory, another start. And then another hers day memory next Thursday. And so the Pelicans just kept it going. And then South Bend kept it going. And that's when it really like kind of just blew up. And it, it's, it's, it's a thing now. Well, Joe Johnson's going to be my guest on Wednesday for Fly the W podcast. He's the maker of obvious shirts, and I don't know if a Thursday shirt exists just yet, but I got, I'll, 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 I'm going to talk to him about that. For sure. Um, yeah, he, <laughs> I remember him talking about it a little bit with me, but I, I don't think it ever came to like fruition, but we, we needed to make sure it, it gets a thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I got to see you at your first actual ball game ever at Wrigley field. There was 14 prospects that were invited um, for the first ever prospect camp where you got to kind of, you know, talk with, with Rossi's coaching staff and Jed and kind of get a feel of everything. What was that camp like for you and how excited were you to be included in that group of just uh, top talent that the Cubs have? Oh man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm super blessed. And I know that all 13, 14 other guys, they were all super blessed. They, put us right in the hotel Zachary. I remember me and Ben flew on the same, Ben Brown flew on the same flight. Um, and we were just like so excited to get there and we get in the Uber to get, uh, and they, they, the game was still going on. I think the Cubs were in the bottom of the seventh, bottom of the eighth, one of the two. And they don't drop off close in like Wrigleyville. So we had to park, They uh, the Uber dropped us off and we had to walk like all the way around and we're just carrying our Cubs bags, and and then we finally get to Hotel Zachary, and we're we're just like walking up to it, like, dude, it's right beside the field, like we're right across the field, and people are walking out, and like we we're, were like, dude, this is so sick, like you can get used to this, and dude, I I was super blessed to just be a part of it, and it was a super cool experience getting to talk to Tommy Hadovy, the head pitching coach, 
David Ross, all the hitting guys. We got to talk to Ian Happ, Nico Horner. Um, we got to talk to Carter Hawkins, Jed. We got to talk to the owner of the Cubs. It was Tom Ricketts and dude, it was, it was, it was an experience like, like none other before. And I was just blessed to be, to be, to be there. And, and the, that it's just crazy how far you can come. And just, just thinking as an 18 year old dude is like, man, this is, this is a crazy experience. I can't believe I'm in front of these type of people, but one day I'm going to be like in their shoes. So it's just, it's just a start and there's a long ways to go, but it was, it was, it was definitely like to make me hungry, to make other guys hungry for like, this is what you want. So like, go get it. And it, it, they definitely did their job of that. So for those people that haven't watched you on hers day or any other days, talk to the listeners as far as what makes you unique as a pitcher and, and what kind of pitches do you offer? What, what's kind of your repertoire? So I'm, I'm a left-handed pitcher and Right now, I'm just throwing a fastball, curveball, and a changeup. But we got a little slider coming in the mix now this year. Uh, I'm actually about to get it taught this week. And um, but I think the biggest part of my game, like when you watch me, is like my delivery. Like you're gonna tell, you're gonna be able to see like this dude don't throw like most other people. And it's 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 like if you're sitting on the first base side, it looks like I'm about to throw the ball over to you in the dugout. Uh, it's just a crossfire delivery and. I'm I'm a lot more extreme than most people that do crossfire, so it's it's really deceptive in how I throw. And but I think just like my game is like I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm super competitive. Like if you step in the box, like it's me versus it's me versus you. And like everything I've done in my life, like what I've learned from my dad, what I've learned from my mom, like they just made me into this competitor. That's like I, I'm not gonna lose. So it's like it's like a bulldog, and but like. <laughs> I just play with a lot of heart and like you can see me out there. Like if I get if a dude gets on third base and I, I got no outs and I strike the next three dudes out, I'm a fist pump. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get excited. I'm gonna run off the mound or like do something like crazy. But I just play with a lot of heart, man. And it, it's I, I enjoy pitching. I, I love it a lot. So that's that's kind of what you're gonna see on the mound. <laughs> Nice. And what do you do for fun off the mound, man? What you know, what, what is something that you like to do as far as enjoyment or when you're not doing baseball activities? Uh, I like to golf. I also like, I just got into, so me and Clark, uh, before we were in Tennessee, me, Clark and Estrada, I would, I would love fishing, man. They got, I, they really got me into fishing and then I started catching fish and dude, I, I've been hooked since, but <laughs> fishing and golfing and playing, playing Call of Duty or video games. That's, that's like my three things. I'm actually really into Yellowstone right now. I'm trying to catch up, but, uh, those are like the main things that I, I'm, I'm really into right now. Oh man, what, what do you like? What do they have you catching? Largemouth, any kind of bass or stuff like that? What are they yeah. catching? Well, when we were in Tennessee, we were we just were trying to look for these little ponds, and then we found one on the golf pond. And dude, this, there was they, they're not big at all. They're probably like pounds, but I mean, you throw it in, and you're catching and reeling them in instantly. It's like I caught like six or seven one day, and just this little pond, and it was it was sick. But I, I need to get to a lake where I can catch a real pond. And then when I went back to Fayetteville. And I first I got my PR, which it, it wasn't big, but it was like a three three and a half pounder. And right. dude, I was like, oh my god, this is sick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been hooked on fishing since. Well, DJ, here's what I'm gonna tell you. I got a feeling that Cub fans are really gonna take to you those that aren't already excited about the possibility of you pitching at Wrigley Field. Uh, you got your first Cub convention coming up, and I know fans are buzzing to, to see you and and your and a lot of your teammates in the minors. 
anything you'd want to say to Cub fans uh, before you uh, show up at Cubs convention? Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know much to say, but man, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we're, we're, the Cubs are building something for for the fans. And I think it has to do with a lot of these young guys and, I think y'all are going to grow up with us, and so I think it's going to be a, be a pretty sick moment for for not only us but Cubs fans. And there's going to be a lot of winning in there. So, but we're not there yet. We haven't done much yet. So we got to get there first. And I think that's the biggest thing is just being in the moment. And when the time comes, we're going to be full force and full gas pedal. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, DJ, when you make your first start, I will be at Wrigley Field to see it, and I'm excited. I want to really thank you for your time today. And uh, like I said, looking forward to seeing you at Cub Convention. I appreciate it, Crawley. Thank you. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. We are calling this one hashtag, where is Jed? Great interview, Crawley. Nice job. And in this segment, we want to remind you to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And we want to talk about Wilson Contreras. Wilson is now officially a St. Louis Cardinal. Absolutely. Just seeing him in that red, I don't know how many people had their gag reflex go off, man. I know it turned, <laughs> it turned my stomach, but $87.5 million year uh, deal, five years, and average annual value of about $17.5 million. Now, you know the Cardinals, and the Cardinals always have a great farm system. Um, this contract, right, was the largest financial deal in Cardinals history for a player who hadn't previously played for the organization. So the Cardinals don't mind spending. It's usually, though, on the players that were homegrown. The last, uh, con- the, la- the previous contract, the-, the record-breaking contract for the Cardinals on a player that wasn't from their own organization, Dexter Fowler, $82.5 million in five years in 2016. So, um, you know, it was interesting because, you know, Wilson was negotiating with the Astros. I think there was a third team as well. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, the, with, with, once the deal was done, Wilson sent out a statement. Um, he talked to the Cardinals fans and Cub fans, and he also wrote an article for the Players' Tribune, which I always like the Players' Tribune, Dustin. I don't know. You know, it's cool to kind of see what they have to say. I know it's not them necessarily writing it all the time. Right. Um, but I think that it, it definitely has um, some interesting things to kind of look at. So what he kind of said to the fans, to the city of Chicago, I love you. We share some special memories together. And I'll never forget 2016. I will be f- grateful to this special place. I want to thank the Cubs organization for taking a chance on this kid. I played my heart out. I'm going to miss my teammates, the beautiful city of Chicago, and most of all, all caps, fans. Okay? And so I, I thought that was um, very nice. I, yeah, classy, I, classy move, no but, doubt. Now, in the Players' Tribune, I thought that was the more – I mean, that to me was very interesting because – he jumped in front of the story. The very first thing he really talks about is Yadi Molina's a legend. First ballot Hall of the Famers, one of the best, blah, blah, blah. He said, so, yeah, he's not someone you ever replace, and I'm definitely not do- looking to do that. And this, to me, is where, you know, that was a smart move because I think this is going to be a tough move for Wilson. I, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Maybe it's going to turn out that he's going to be great. I mean, when you think about what Wilson is, think about what he was for the – you know, 2017, 2018, 2019 Cubs, right? Before the big trade-off of 2021, is that he was their fourth or fifth best hitter usually, right? 
So you had, you know, Chris Bryant, you had uh, Anthony Rizzo, and then, you know, Javi Baez, and then you got to Wilson Contreras, right? So he's like your third, fourth best hitter. And and when all those guys were traded, he moved to being the most important hitter on the team. And I don't, obviously that wasn't fair to Wilson and that's not what he was, you know, but now when you go to a team with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and you're the third, fourth most dangerous hitting option, I think that that's going to be really good for Wilson. Yeah, I think it plays into what his strengths are. And I think he wants to be a vocal and emotional leader, but when you have to be the vocal, emotional, and the actual leader at the plate, that, that is a lot. And so I do think in my mind, though, that there always is going to be this comparison to Yachty that he's going to have to lift up to. Of course. And I will tell you this, though, Dustin. It's a two-foot putt to make that comparison, right? I mean, come on. Right. But what I am concerned about is that you have to have pretty thick skin to constantly have to hear it, deal with it, and you know the, the, the cardinal way and all this stuff. I have a feeling that this is going to be a really tough go for Wilson, and I think he's not a guy... He blocks a lot of people on Twitter. He's gets in, he gets in, he gets in arguments with beat writers and television reporters, and he blocks them just because they may say something that he doesn't like. You have to have thicker skin. And, oh yeah, you do. Yeah, and, because I think it affects. I think I think it affects your play. I right. think I think when you have that thin skin and you're worrying about all those other little things, it definitely gets in the way of you being as good as you can be at your job. And again, you know, that might be another reason, Crowley, why he's no longer a Cub. You know, well, they probably, if you and I can see that, okay, and you're you're sitting at Wrigley and I'm listening to Pat and Ron or watching every game on television, if we can see it, you know the Cubs see it. Well, I think this is what the Cubs see, and this is where people were freaking out about Wilson Contreras and why I was saying this is what I thought they were going to do. Uh, Matt Clapp, who tweets at, at Blog Finds, and he's a great follow, he tweeted out, he looked up the numbers. He looked up at the stats. Justin Steele with Wilson Contreras behind the plate. 397 ERA, 710 OPS. Okay, that's 79 innings pitched. When Justin Steele threw to Jan Gomes, his ERA was cut in half. 136 ERA, 563 OPS, and 39 and a half innings pitched. Kyle Hendricks, 596 ERA when he was throwing to Contreras, 283 when he was throwing to Jan Gomes. Adrian Sampson, 386 when he was throwing to Contreras, 241 when he was throwing to Gomes. Thompson, Keegan Thompson, 468 ERA when he was throwing to Contreras, 324 ERA when he was throwing to Gomes. The only one that did better throwing to Go- throwing to Contreras than Gomes was Marcus Stroman, 279 versus 298. Okay? So you take a look at the difference in those numbers. It's huge. Some of, some of them are absolutely eye-popping. And when you're talking about the, the pitchers, right? We talked about Kyle Hendricks. Is he going to be on the team after next year when his contract's set to come off the books? I'd, I, I'm going to be honest, Dustin. I don't think so. Marcus Stroman has an opt-out. If the Cubs don't get Correa and Vasquez, is he going to really want to spend more years with the Cubs? Or does he think he can kind of turn around if he has a great season and parlay that into a better contract? Okay. And so when you're looking at that, who are you left with? You're left with Steele, Samson, Thompson, uh, obviously Jameson Tyone. We don't know what he's going to do with, uh, you know, how he's going to throw to Jan Gomes. I just know pitchers like to throw to him. And so the guys that you have that are coming up are all younger. Hayden Wesniski, we talked about. Ben Brown. A lot of those guys that are going to potentially come up are younger pitchers. And I think that, in my opinion, Jan Gomes is, is a target that does a great job, calls a great game, and this is why Wilson is not there. And that's why I, I talked about Christian Vasquez as being so key 
to the Cubs offseason plan is that Jan Gomes cannot carry this weight. He can't. Uh, he's not a guy that can catch that much. And even think about this. Why did Wilson's Contreras offensive numbers go up so much? He didn't have to catch every darn day. Right. Right. So, Great point. So you, you're going to have to have a guy that can take half the load off Gomes. And that's Christian Vasquez. And, and I think the Cubs want to go that receiving route. And that's also why I was shocked because I thought, well, maybe Wilson's not going to catch a lot for the Cardinals. In that press conference, he was saying, you know, they were saying that he's going to be pretty much the everyday catcher. And if you know anything about the Cardinals, it's, uh, and again, Yadi Molina, we can have this argument all day of whether he's a first, I don't think he's at all, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, is he a Hall of Famer? I'm sure there's people that can make that argument. I, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit at it, but uh, I think the Cardinals in, in their eyes think he's a uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. But the one thing I can always tell you about Yachty is that pitchers love throwing to him. He called a great game. He kept everybody mellow, all that stuff. So it surprises me that all the things that Yachty did good are more of the weaknesses of Wilson and vice versa. Do you think, though, a year from right now, Crawley, when we're having this discussion, will the standardized robot umpires be in play? Because if they are, if they are, the, the receiver won't matter as much. I don't know. I think because you can't, you're not going to be able to steal strikes, if you will, because of framing and whatnot. Right, but it's also the target, the flow that you get through, the way that you work with the catcher, the meetings that happen before the game. Yeah, there's there's a lot more to it. Yeah, you're, you're going to catch some strikes and framing. I just them. wonder. I just wonder if that's where the Cardinals were going. Like they're they're anticipating like we can get away with this because we're going to get his bat, we're going to get his leadership, and in a year from now. The, the framing, just the just the framing aspect of it won't be as important. I mean, let there, you know, he's a he's a bundle of energy, Wilson Contreras. A lot of people said that they complained because he was so antsy behind the plate. That was something they were always working on him. Right. To, jittery, to be less jittery, yeah, jittery, less antsy. Right. right. Mm -hmm. The target kind of there and, and and he got better. He went from being below average framer to being slightly average. But it's just, to me, it's not the Cardinal way. And the other team that wanted him were the Astros. And it wasn't the, like I said, they want Maldonado. So I think that's kind of, it's kind of weird, Dustin. I saw some people kind of pissed at the Cardinal, or at Wilson for signing with the Cardinals. I'm like, dude, the Cubs basically told him goodbye, see you later. So why, oh, yeah. why, why, why should he care what, what the Cubs, I mean, he, he, he had nice things to say about the Cub fans, but he can sign with whoever he wants. Yeah, you can't blame him, but I understand right. Cub fans being upset about it. I almost feel like... If it came down to, it, let's say the offers were equal between the Astros and Cardinals. Let's say they both offered him the same. I think Yachty, I think, sorry, Wilson is the type of guy that he wants to stick it to the Cubs. So he would pick the Cubs, the Cardinals over the Astros to have the opportunity to stick it to the Cubs more often than not. And I'm going to disagree with you there. I'm going to say that it's actually more of... Who's going to look at me in the eye, Wilson Contreras, who's going to look me in the eye and say, you're going to be our everyday catcher. And that wasn't going to happen with the Astros. Martin Maldonado is our everyday catcher. Wilson was going to catch two games and DH every game that he didn't or catch, right? Yep. And so that was, in my opinion, is that the Cardinals said to him, you're going well, to be Well, listen, Crowley, that makes a lot more sense, but that's no fun that it makes sense. <laughs> I just want to, I want to, I want to throw gasoline on the, on the, on the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry. I, I don't want to make sense of it. I just think it, it's not fair for Cub fans to really be upset. It's like it's like imagine if you treated your your significant other like crap, and then you break up with her, and then she starts dating your your you know your enemy, and then you're mad about that. Well, if you didn't want that situation <laughs> to happen, why did why did you treat them like that? Okay. I like I like the analogy, Crowley. I right. like if, I like the analogy. If you're, Very if you're, well done. 
if you're looking at this situation, the Cubs basically said they tried to trade him a bunch of times. They didn't try to extend him. Not in a, in a, in a, like they said, I think the last time they said there was a really substantial offer was like 2017, 2018. They made it clear they didn't want him. And so you're mad because he was, you know, I think he made some comment that when Pujols hit number 700 or, or 695, whatever it was against the Cardinals versus the Cardinals. Right, then all of a sudden he wanted to be a Cardinal. Right, he thought that, 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 that Yeah, that doesn't sit well, right. I don't, I don't, who cares? Because at that point he knew he was gone and the Cubs didn't want him. What is he supposed to say? I love you Cubs. Please don't, don't ever let me go. I mean, they made it clear. Then good. He probably was fantasizing about being on a lot of different teams. Hey Crowley, you got uh, some fun coming up on Saturday the 17th. That's going to be the next Saturday that we have. Tell uh, me, first of all, and then tell our great audience about uh, Cubs caroling. So this is the fourth annual Cubs caroling party that we're going to have on Saturday, December 17th. My brilliant friend and great follow on Twitter, Sun Ranto, Danny Rocket, writes Christmas carols with Cubs lyrics. Now, this may be ringing a, a bell in your head here, and I'm going to explain why. Last year, we went out to Chris Kindlemart, and, and Danny changed the words of Gloria, the tune in excess of Dale. He changed it to Correa. Come play in Chicago. Somebody taped it, and it blew up online, over a million views. And not only that, Carlos Correa retweeted it. Very and, cool. And Very so cool. That was kind of a big deal. So we're doing it. Did again. he submit? Did he submit that in any of these contests that you see out there? He's been in a couple contests, and he always gets robbed because the the you know the guys that do that one of the guys that do the contest they always kind of seem to like it more when you kind of include their talent in the song. Right. But he's right. Abso- he's absolutely brilliant when it comes to it. And so what we end up doing is we're starting on December 17th at Output, which is a little bit south of Clark and Waveland. And we go from bar to bar. We sing three songs and we drink a beer. We go to about seven or eight bars. Then we're going to go to Chris Kindlemart and to the scene of the crime last time where we were tape singing to Korea. And then we're going to try to get inside Wrigley Field. And then we're going to finish up at the oldest bar in Wrigley, Nisei Lounge on Sheffield and Clark. So it is absolutely a great time. A lot of fun Cub fans, a lot of people that if you're on social media, you're going to know them. Uh, I'm sure Bleacher Jeff is going to be there. I'm sure uh, Miguel Esparza, who's on the show, is going to be there. It's going to be a happening. We got this thing planned out. I bought a $15 bullhorn on Facebook Marketplace. So <laughs> it, it, it is just what just what the people just what the people down at Wrigley Field trying to enjoy the Christmas needs. Crowley on a blowhorn. <laughs> so everybody is invited. And if you want to get more information, not just on the Cubs Caroling party, but stuff that we're doing with Fly the W, uh, go ahead and follow us on all our socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram. Fly the W on Facebook. And you can email us if you have any questions about any of the events or anything else at flythew670 at gmail.com. Well, Crowley, we'll get back together before uh, you go caroling, but uh, hopefully there will be an emergency Cubs podcast maybe as soon as tomorrow. It's not over, Jed. I still believe, baby. Go Cubs! It's all over. 